Well, so today, as we wrap the series up, is not going to be any different than the rest of the series. We're going to talk about something else that nobody really likes to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about money. All the air leaves the room. That's a beautiful thing. Love it. And it seems nobody likes to talk about money, right? Nobody really likes to talk about People are more comfortable talking about their sex lives than they are talking about their money. You know? Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not some people. But I, fi- I, f- I find that as soon as you start going, well, how much do you make? Tell me about your money. All of a sudden people are like, well, that's getting pretty personal. That's, that's, that's a little bit too close. Uh, and, and honestly, I avoided the topic in this church for years. I don't like to talk about it. And the reason I don't like to talk about it is because I know everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable when they talk about church or talk about money in church, don't they? Everybody gets a little bit skittish. Some people are like, ah, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's holy. You know, that's not, that's not Jesus stuff, right? That's not the stuff that, that we should be talking about. That's not spiritual enough. And everybody gets a little bit uncomfortable. I still don't like to talk about money. I still don't like to talk about money. And many of you don't like it when I talk about money. I would say most of you probably don't like it when I talk about money. You know who doesn't seem to mind, though, talking about money? Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to care uh, how uncomfortable it makes us. All throughout the Gospels, money and possessions, especially how we're supposed to relate to them, are some of Jesus' most favorite topics. In fact, he talks more about money and possessions than he talks about heaven and hell combined. He cares about money and how you relate to money. And the reason that I think this is true is because he knows how easy it is to get wrapped up in making gods out of stuff, right? Like, we're pretty good at making a mess of this, right? Like, you know, I, I get a little bit of money. It's like, oh, now I start to have money goals, right? I start to go, well, if I just do this, if I, if I just work a little bit harder, if I just get this job, then I'll have enough. And now I'm, like, living for my money. And all of a sudden, where's God in the midst of this? You know, who am I serving? So, so Jesus knows that we don't have a great track record. We lie, we steal, we cheat to get money. We treat human beings horribly for the sake of more money. That's why there's such a thing as a sex trafficking trade. Because people are so concerned about money. We make money into a God. And so Jesus talks about it over and over and over and over again. He talks about money and how we're supposed to relate. And the message never changes. I don't know if you've noticed that. Anytime you ever heard of somebody preach about money in a church, it's usually the same message, isn't it? I mean, they use different scriptures, but it's basically the same message. Maybe some of you are like, I don't remember if it's the same message or not. But it's consistent. Jesus talks about money the same way every time. Every single time. And I want, we're going to take a little, we're going to take a little in, internal poll here. Think for a second. How many of you would say, I'm 100% clear on how Jesus wants me to handle money? If you say, I'm 100% clear. I, I, understand, I understand how Jesus uh, wants me to relate to and to use money. I'm 100% clear. So much so that if we switched places, you could just step up and say exactly what I'm about to say. And I'll take my notes away from you. Most of us are not that way, right? Like some of us would say, you know, uh, I'm a little bit foggy. I kind of have some idea about how God wants me to relate to money, but I'm a little foggy. It's not real clear to me. Some of you would say, I have no idea what Jesus says about money. I have no idea. Didn't know he even talked about it. Haven't opened the book yet. 
Still got the shrink wrap on it. The next question, for those of you who, who you know, when you think internally, like you're like, I, I know how Jesus wants me to approach money. The question I would ask you is, when you look at your bank account, would it reflect that you have learned how Jesus wants you to handle money? Would your bank account reflect that you understand Jesus' teaching about money? Some of you are like, uh, uh, I do it all in cash. Uh, a little bit nervous. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew 25. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. There's stacks on the, on the columns here. We're going to look at Matthew 25. And while you're turning to Matthew 25 on your smartphone or wherever, uh, I want to give you a little bit of context. Matthew 24, so back one chapter, Jesus has asked, what's going to happen at the end, right? Like, what's this big speculation of the end of time? And, of course, Jesus likes to tell these stories, these parables, to explain, like, the kingdom of God, right? You guys have, have seen that. Like, he tells these stories, like, the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus uses a story from real life that would help you to understand the kingdom of God, which you may not understand. And so he's asked, you know, what's the end of, end of times going to be like? And, and he begins to tell a parable. He tells two parables in 25. We're going to look at the second one. Uh, the second one begins at, at verse 14, and he's trying to describe what the kingdom of God will be like when the end of the, end of the age comes. And so here's what, here's what we read, the beginning in verse 14 of chapter 25. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. This is the kingdom of God. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge with many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. He doesn't really understand the master at all. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of a scary picture, right? 
Nobody really likes that part. Uh, so, so what are we getting out of that? Jesus tells this parable, and in the parable, Jesus is the man who goes on a journey. Jesus represents the man who's going on a journey, or the man represents Jesus. So the man entrusts his servants with a fortune, his whole fortune, in bags of gold. Some of you, you may have in your translations, it says talents. You got, how many of you guys got, you like you're reading this, it says talents in my book. What does that mean? Well, officially, the, the Greek word would translate talents, but because there's a little bit of confusion, a talent in, uh, in the first century would have been 20 years worth of money, would have been 20 years wages. And so the word talent refers to an amount of money. But, but in, our, in our case, talent is like, I have the ability to play guitar. That's my talent, right? And, so, and you have heard sermons where they say, your talent, so your ability to drive a car, you drive for Uber. Your ability to, I mean, whatever, right? But we, but we take this, and instead of, instead of sticking with what Jesus is talking about, money, we say, well, they, they mean talents. They mean abilities. It's not so much money, it's abilities. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. A talent is 20 years worth of wages. So when he gives the, the guy five bags of gold or five talents is what the translation is, that's 100 years wages. He's giving this guy a lot of money. But, but so for clarity's sake, they make this switch and they say bags of gold. I mean, it's hard to translate, but you understand the, the reason. But the first thing that we need to understand, I mean, we could, we could take this and we could say the, the parable works if we were to say talents like abilities, right? It works, that we ought to, that, that whatever talents and abilities we've been given, we ought to use them this way, right? It works. But for the sake of clarity and for the sake of consistency, let's just focus on money. The first thing we need to understand in the parable is that money belongs to God. Look at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. What we find throughout Scripture is that God says all money belongs to him. Not only that, but he goes a little bit further. He says everything belongs to me. Look at Deuteronomy 10.14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heaven, the earth and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. Psalm 89.11. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Everything belongs to God. Everything including all the money in the world. And so because God owns everything, anything you have is not yours. There's a popular statement. You don't own anything. Nobody likes to think that way, right? Like that car you've got, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. When you get in your car, you are driving God's car. How's that? For? That's cool. Sometimes your God's car doesn't have a mirror. Sorry. Love you, buddy. <laughs> uh, your family does not belong to you. They belong to God. Your money does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Your house does not belong to you. It belongs to the bank. I mean, it belongs to God through the bank. But, <laughs> but you don't own anything. And if you grasp this concept, it will set you up for success in following Jesus. This is a big one, right? Understanding how you relate to God. You're not an owner, you're a manager. The, the, the you know, whatever, 50-point uh, Bible word is stewardship. You are a steward of God's wealth. If you understand that, 
you're so far down the road for following Jesus that nothing you have is yours. That's positive. That's good. Oftentimes we have money in our pocket and we think, oh, this is mine to spend, right? I need another pair of shoes. I have 20 pairs now, but I need one, one more. They're cute, right? These, they look, they're cute on me. <laughs> you want those new shoes, you buy them, right? You, yeah, I should have worn my dad's shoes for that. Anyway, look on Facebook. You're my friend. Uh, you want a more expensive car, what do we do? We buy it. I heard this guy say this one time, uh, and I think, Jerry, you were there. Uh, or Gerald was there, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> well, I don't, re I remember the conversation. It was in your parents' backyard, but I don't remember who, st who was standing next to me. <laughs> this, guy, this guy said to me, he goes, do you know how you can tell if you deserve a Cadillac? He said, if you can afford it, you deserve it. And that's only true if you believe the money that you have is actually yours. As soon as you understand that you steward God's money, it's not for you to decide. It's for God to decide if you deserve a Cadillac. When you understand that you're managing God's money, it changes how you think about it. And if you understand this, it will simplify your life greatly. If you understand that you're managing God's money, it will simplify your life greatly. You don't have to figure out what to do with it. You don't figure out where it comes from. You don't figure out where it's going. Only thing you have to do is do what God tells you to do with it. It's his anyway. How many of you, before you buy something, you say, God, is this something you want me to buy? Is this a good investment of your money? Run that through your eating out budget. <laughs> or your eating out budget through that grid, right? I'm a little afraid. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> do we do that? Do we understand that, like, before I spend something, before I decide to buy it, is it because I want it or is this because this is a good investment of God's money? And so the rest of this parable exists to teach those who follow Jesus what we are supposed to do with his money, with his money, until he returns. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us is that the money he gives us is based on our ability to use it appropriately. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Anybody wonder why he said, well, you get five, you get two, you get one. I start going, is God playing favorites? Like, that, that doesn't seem fair. How come he only gets one? The other guy gets five. The reason is God gives to you based on your ability to handle it. The wealth is distributed according to the servant's ability. When I read this, it jumped off the page at me. I was like, Oh, so when God gives you money, he, he believes that you can handle it appropriately. Whatever he gives you, he gives it to you because he expects you to handle it appropriately. You know, one of the, the statements I've heard uh, about giving money to the church and that whole weird thing is that people go, well, you know, I, I really don't have it right now. When I make a little bit more money, 
then I'll start to give, right? Have you said that? I've, I've said that, right? When I make a little bit more, then I'll give. But here's the deal. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. John Wimber said this. Whatever I need to give, God inevitably calls me to give it when I don't have any of it, whether it's money, love, hospitality, or information. When it comes to giving, you don't wait for what you might get in the future. God has given you exactly what he expects you to be faithful with now. It's not like, well, you know, I take care of myself first, and, and then later on I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I set aside whenever I make some more. There's a story I read yesterday. I thought it was pretty funny. You probably won't think it near as funny as I, I did. But, but there was this farmer, and, and the farmer had this cow, and, and the cow was pregnant and about to give birth, and it gives birth to twins. And so, so the farmer comes in to his wife, and she says, this is great. We just have, we have two calves, and I just really feel like God has blessed us. We have a red calf, and we have a white calf. God has blessed us. Because of this blessing, we're going to dedicate one of these calves to the Lord, and whatever it produces, we're just going to give that to God. Whatever the, whatever the cow produces, we're going to give the money to God. A couple months later, farmer walks in the kitchen. Before, before that, she, she says, well, which one, is, which one belongs to God? He goes, I don't know. We'll figure it out. A couple months later, walks into the kitchen. He looks real sad. and She says, what's wrong? He said, the Lord's calf died. She said, I thought you didn't know which one was the Lord's calf. He said, well, I decided a long time ago that it was the red one, and the red one is dead. You know, it's the Lord's calf that always dies. It's the way it always works, right? We'll, we'll take care of God later. You know, we'll, we'll be faithful later to God. We're going to take care of ourselves first. It's the way it always works. The kingdom principle to learn here is that whatever you have, whatever God has given you, he expects you to use faithfully now. Don't wait for some time later to begin to be faithful to God. You start now. That's how that works. And the kingdom principle to learn is that the way you increase your ability to handle God's wealth and larger parts of God's wealth is how faithful you are with what you've been given today. You want more? You want to handle more of God's wealth? I'll, I'll clarify. This is not prosperity gospel, okay? It took a little bit of edge off. I could tell it was getting a little, some people getting a little nervous. Not prosperity gospel. Here's the deal. If you want to manage more of God's money later, you manage what little of God's money he's given you now. But this is not, the prosperity gospel stops there, right? Prosperity gospel says you have to manage God's money now so he will give you lots of your own. The way the gospel works is you manage God's money now faithfully so you can manage more of God's money later faithfully, so you can manage more of God's money faithfully, so you can manage more of God's money faithfully. That's how that works. You don't, you know, people want to say, you know, oh, man, if you just put the money, you just, you just give to get, and that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is you give to get, to give, to get, to give. At the end, you're oh, it's always giving away. You want to handle more of God's money? Handle what you've been given well. So what does it mean to handle God's money well? We put it to work for kingdom gain. That's what it means. Look at verse 16. It says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. How do you handle God's money well? How do you do it well? How do you decide? You use God's money 
that he entrusts to you the way he would if he were spending it. That's how you handle it well. You invest in the structures and you invest in the principles of the kingdom of God. You just use it to further God's kingdom. That's how you handle it well. You use it to further God's kingdom. At a bare minimum, bare minimum, this is like base level following Jesus. You ready for this? This is like kindergarten level. At a bare minimum, that means you you give to the local church of Jesus Christ. That's how that works. That's, that's like elementary school. Like, we're not talking about, like, changing the world overseas. I'm saying, can you be faithful to the work of the kingdom in the local place that you belong to? Can you be faithful? And just in case you're thinking, oh, I know, you're preaching this so that, you know, it's for your paycheck and all that. I don't get paid for this, the work I do at this church. Some of you don't know that. I don't get paid for this. So whatever benefit you think I get from you giving to this church, I only get the same benefit you get, and that is cooperating to, to do the ministry uh, that God has called this church to do. That's the only benefit I get. I get the exact same benefit you get. I give, you get a benefit. You give, we both get a benefit, right? Listen, when Jesus left earth, he left his body, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit as the hope for the world. The church of Jesus Christ is the structure he put in place that is responsible for taking the gospel to the whole world and making disciples of all nations. And so at a bare minimum, giving to the church does, well, it it furthers the gospel. And and I'll just say this, I've said this to, to people before, if you don't see that happening in this church, you shouldn't put money in here. Doesn't matter what church you go to, whatever church you're a part of, if we're not winning the lost and making disciples, we're not doing what Jesus has called us to do. Whatever else we're doing, doing basket ministries and all kinds of other stuff, that's fine. You do your thing. But like, if we're not after the lost, if we're not making disciples of all nations, I'm going to stop giving money and you should do the same. And I wouldn't be part of a church that you couldn't give to. There's no reason for you to waste your time in a church that you don't believe in enough to give to. Not not just this church. It doesn't matter what church you're a part of. If you don't believe in it enough to go, I'm going to help support the mission and the ministry of this church, I would say it's time to go. Myself included. If I ever got to a place where I was like, I'm not going to give to this because I'm afraid of what they'll do with it. And I understand. Some of you are like, I'm just checking this out. I'm not really committed here. That's fine. That's totally fine. Check it out as long as you need to check it out. But if you've been here like a really long time and you're like, I won't financially support this because I don't trust the way they're going to handle the money or I don't believe in the mission that they're on, you should find a place where you can do that. And that's a scary thing to say, right? Because odds are decent that not everybody in here is those people. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm saying we as the followers of Jesus, we handle stuff differently. For some of you, maybe this is like this is like new, you know, like, hey, you know, this idea of giving to the local church, that's, that's new, it's uncomfortable. I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. I didn't know that I was supposed to, to, to do that. Uh, well, now you know. But, but for some of us, like, there may be some real fear attached to that. Some of you have seen the church in, in various expressions, the church of Jesus Christ mishandle money, right? You guys have seen that. It's, it makes the news every time. Because we're supposed to be the people that know how to handle money, right? And we don't do it well. 
So, so, so for some of you, I would say, you know, maybe that there's fear attached to that. And can I just say, like, can I encourage you to take a step of faith, however small? Like, you know, maybe you're going, you know, there's no way I'm doing 10%. I'm never going to, I'm just not there. I give five bucks. I can, whatever step of faith, whatever you do faithfully with the money that God entrusts you with, he will bless. Whatever, whatever step you take, however small, God will reward that. And when Jerry and I were first married, we, we like sat down, make a budget, and we started out, and, and we made a decision when we were newlyweds that we, no matter what church we're a part of, we are going to start with 10%. We're going to give, we're going to give 10%, and it's up to God. Like, whatever that church does with it, if they mishandle it, if they, you know, whatever, somebody embezzles money, whatever, God will deal with them, be it ever so severely. <laughs> That's what it took for me, I, like, to be honest. Uh, but we made a decision that we were going to give 10% to whatever church we were a part of. And we've never looked back. We decided, and the first item, when we make a budget, the first line item is church. That's the first line item. And what we decided is whatever generosity we wanted, to, whatever level of generosity we wanted to get display comes after that. Whatever we do generosity-wise, it comes after we support what God's doing in the local church. That's where we start. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's absolutely the case that we are more able today to be generous in our regular lives because of that commitment. God has blessed that commitment. God says that we've handled his money faithfully. And I would say for you, that would be true. I, I wouldn't tell you if I didn't believe that. But after the church, after you're like, okay, I'm going to support the, the, the church of Jesus Christ in my local context. After that, how do we spend God's money? What's faithful look like after 10%? Some of you are going, what? After 10%? <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. <laughs> I have to eat someday. <laughs> what does it look like to be faithful after that? What? It looks like spending the money the way God would, right? It looks like feeding the sick, clothing the naked, healing or feeding the hungry, clothing the sick. You know, they, they all cross the whatever. <laughs> care for the widow. You can feed the sick too. Uh, care for the widow, the orphan, the alien. Uh, doing work of justice and mercy. These are all kingdom pursuits. Jerry and I for 14 years now have supported a kid in, in Zimbabwe. Her name is Margaret. I have gotten pictures of Margaret for 14 years. She's now 18 years old. She'll be 19 this year. She was born on our, on our anniversary date. We have supported this, this girl overseas who lives in a place where, where they're, they're impoverished. This is a work of the kingdom. That goes over and above what I do with the local church. You know, maybe that's the kind of thing, and there's plenty of organizations that do that. Compassion International, World Vision. There are people who do that. Find somebody that you can connect with and go, I'm going to spread the kingdom of God with God's money. Or maybe for some of you, you, you know, you have a passion to see people freed from human trafficking. I think that's, a, that's an amazing pursuit. And might I recommend, there's an organization called Love 146. How many of you have heard of Love, Love 146? You should take a look at their website, love146.org. And their sole mission is to rescue children from sex trafficking. That's a kingdom pursuit, man. God cares about that. Maybe you're generous that way. How do we invest God's money well? We, we, we explore kingdom pursuits, and really it's this simple. You ask God what he wants you to do with it, and then you do it. 
You're just a manager of God's money. So all money is God's money. God entrusts you based on your ability. You use God's money for kingdom benefit. The last thing I want to show you is that Jesus rewards those who are faithful with his money. Look at verse 20. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Jesus rewards those who are faithful with his money. So how does he do that? Scripture says when you're faithful with a few things, God entrusts you with more things. When you handle Jesus' stuff well, he entrusts you with more of his stuff. That's really quite simple. It's interesting, though, if you look at the other sort of a similar story in Luke 19. Uh, Jesus rewards those who are faithful with a little bit of money by putting them in charge of cities. Jesus says, what you do with my money has like, it has import for how you would run cities. That Jesus puts them in charge of cities. When you handle God's stuff appropriately, he trusts you to handle more of his stuff. And it's true of every kingdom resource that you can get your hands on. Every kingdom resource works this way. It's a kingdom principle. I have watched people who God entrusts with a little bit of authority, just a little bit, just a little bit of kingdom authority. And when they exercise it appropriately, when they use it to empower the weak and uplift the marginalized, God gives them more. Because he can trust them with his authority. I've watched people who God entrusts with just a little bit of healing. We teach you how to pray for the sick. You go, okay, if this is a real thing, I'm going to go do it. And so you begin to do it with just a little bit of the healing gift that God has given you. And when you're faithful with that gift, he gives you more. It turns into a ministry. You pray for people and you see more people get healed. I've watched people who God entrusts with just a little bit of faith. Just a little. I have just enough to take this step. And move into this kingdom activity with some level of certainty that I wouldn't otherwise have. And when that happens, God pours out more faith. You become somebody who's known for having a gift of faith. It's true of every kingdom resource. That when you exercise it faithfully, God gives you more of it. Any of you who know someone who lives life in any sort of kingdom abundance, whether it's financially, whether it's faith, whether it's healing, whether it's authority, anybody that you know who lives in abundance in any kingdom resource does so because they were very, very faithful when they had just a little bit of it. Maybe not even noticeable amounts of it, but they exercised it faithfully. You use whatever amount of God's money you have been given for kingdom purposes, and you will find yourself rewarded with greater kingdom responsibility. Don't you want to be people that are known for for being financially responsible and kingdom responsible? Or is that not really your hope? Is your hope to be somebody that has a real big kingdom role? I'll tell you this much. My hope is that this whole city comes to know Jesus because I was faithful. That's my hope. I hope this whole region comes to know Jesus because I was faithful. I hope that's true of you. I hope that what you want for your life is that you would exercise God's gift faithfully and that the impact that you would make would be tremendous.